1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: Hello and welcome to the Raptors over everything podcast. We have sports Canada. I'm your host, Wemlu joining me to discuss um, some actual Raptors news this week. Plus uh, to look ahead to the Olympic qualifying tournament and also to get an update on uh, Euro 2020, which has been everything as promised is uh, big V Vivek. Uh, what's going on, man? Nothing much, man. Just uh, enjoying all the sports.
1: It's crazy because, mm. like, the last time we did this, it was like the French Open was ending and we were previewing the Euros. Now we got Wimbledon coming up. Yep. And we got the Euros still going. And obviously we got the Canada Olympic qualifier to look forward to. So, and hey, man, lockdown is done.
2: We can actually get outside. Yo, yes, right. You can actually get your second shots. Uh, go outside, play some sports safely, which is honestly like get a haircut and, and, and go to play some sports was like all I was really asking for. Like the rest of life is like not that complicated for me. Like if I can't go into a bar, that's okay. That's not not as impactful. I'm sure for other people there are probably more uh, bigger inconveniences than that. But uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a simple man. I feel like you are too. Um, yeah, man. FEV is for fully vaxxed V now okay jesus christ did, <laughs> you have this plan like did you, is that off the dome like what's going on man what's i'm ready man i'm
1: ready the The dutch are playing later today i'm hype i'm ready to go man
2: yeah now listen I, I know the only reason we actually want to do this pod is to update Euro 2020 which we did the preview i think for the most part we were okay i think i was a little low on italy which turns out italy is the the, the team of the tournament i mean uh, a thrilling game yesterday against uh against Austria. I feel bad for Austria but at the same time like I feel like Marko Neltrevich losing is a it's, it's a win for That's, most yeah, of society. It's, it's a win. It's a win. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in he did play fantastic. But in any case, let's let's talk about the Raptors, okay? The Raptors win the 4th pick. Um, you know, neither of us are draft experts but you know, by any means but we do have a sense of like what the consensus is going to be. And I think draft prep for this 4th pick is relatively easy in the sense that you're mostly looking at three guys available at that spot because there is a consensus top four. Now, um, the, w- whether this consensus specifically applies to NBA teams or if it's just like the NBA analysis outside of that, it's, it's sort of one thing, but um, just based on sort of the, I'm sure you've been watching draft videos trying to get familiarized with these guys based on the three that are possible there. Obviously Cade is going number one, but there's a, the Raptors are going to have a chance to draft one of the following three players. Jalen Green, who played in the G League Ignite team, Evan Mobley, who played for USC, and Jalen Suggs, who uh, led Gonzaga to the NCAA uh, tournament conference game before losing. Um, so far, if you had if you had your pick between the three, obviously the Raptors don't have their pick; they literally have the pick of the remainder. But um, if you had your pick between the three, who are who who do you want so far with that pick?
1: I want Jalen Green. I think uh, okay. if. It, if he were to be available, I feel like that's very unlikely. If he were to be available, that's the guy that I would prefer out of the three. Because for me, watching those clips of him uh, with the Ignite team, he's he fits into exactly what the Raptors need. Someone who can create his own shot off the dribble, who has a really smooth shooting stroke, whether it's pulling up behind the argument. And that's the other thing too, right? When you're watching these playoffs now, you see the value of that pull-up three. Uh, and even getting into sort of snaking into that mid range and being able to pull up. And I feel like Jalen green has that in his bag. Obviously he's got to put on some muscle for the NBA level, but uh, I think all the tools are there in terms of exactly what the Raptors are looking for, uh, to, uh, address the holes on their team beyond that. Obviously we saw how bad the center position was last year, yeah. at least before Ken Birch arrived. So Evan Mobley would be uh, awesome as well. Um, but I, I feel like it's a really interesting situation. But I mean, before we dive into this more, who are you leaning towards? Uh,
2: I, I think I've still got Suggs right now. I think I, I, like his, okay. I like his physicality. I like his ability to drive to the rim. Um, I think that's an aspect that the Raptors do have because they do have Pascal to pressure the rim. But in terms of perimeter players who can drive inside, um, you know, Fred collapses the defense. Does a good job of doing that. But then obviously we know he struggles to finish at the rim. And there's only so many times that you can drive inside and kick out before teams try to make you uh, make a layup. And I think that having Suggs as that sort of two-point guard lineup, a bigger point guard, a stronger point guard can get it uh, into the paint is uh is really appealing to me. Plus, I, I I don't know, he just feels more complete as a player. The other two guys, like this is the thing that's like I've truly really struggled with it. I, and I've trying to really done a lot of research into this. Like, hey, first off, the more you watch these guys, the more you hate them. Like every single one, like you're like picking them apart, but then you're like, But you have no idea. These guys are like 18, 19 years old. Um, you know, if you look at the G League, for example, like, yeah, that's great. That like they you know, they play in the G League tonight. like they played like 10 games, man. You're really looking at a 10 game sample, yeah. okay like you know if, if we were looking at 10 game samples barnani might have been worth the first overall pick way back when with that <laughs> with that little mini play, uh, all-star run he had no so like you know it's it's tough to say and again i think um i think you and i agree and so i think the raptors need more help in terms of like perimeter and and wing creation more than necessarily getting um you know a, a center like mobley who i think would be a really really great defensive player i think there's no real question about that
1: Yeah, I I think that would be the biggest appeal for the Raptors. This is where it's kind of an interesting situation where between the Cavs and the Rockets, how they play this obviously matters so much. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the Cavs, they have Jared Allen, who's a restricted free agent. And then the Rockets, they have Christian Wood. So how much would they look towards a Mobley as opposed to, Maybe saying, hey, if we get a Jalen Green, if we get a Jalen Suggs, you know, maybe that addresses our needs better. Maybe, maybe Suggs is out of the picture for the Cavs, although we're seeing these Sexton rumors now. Um, But I think with the Rockets, if they get another, you know, wing player or a guard, that probably fills out their roster a bit better. And so that might leave Mobley for the Raptors.
2: Yeah. And I think like if you're thinking about, um, team building that's the thing like even though yes the center position is so weak my, okay my thing with this is that with with centers like especially if you got to succeed at the playoff level like you got to be so good um we definitely see more guards um thriving in, in in the playoff level than you do see with centers um so that might make sense to like go for center on one hand because if you get one of these rare talents then you really do have a rare advantage right like look at what DeAndre Andre has done for example like he's been like the best player in this clipper series uh he was
1: like he's been awesome through the playoffs but ga- that game four like yeah there was absolutely nothing the clippers could do with him like, yeah
2: exactly <laughs> but the thing and, is like he mobley's not that kind of guy like the, the more yeah. i watch mobley the more i'm like why is he so skinny like you know what i mean like he, and it's not even like just like that um Whatever, like obviously a lot of prospects are skinny, right? I mean, you you know, your guy Jalen Green is also kind of like a like a like a stick as well, but yeah, like Mobley is so thin at the waist. I feel like, like I feel like this guy wears like size like twenty eight pants. Like he, he, like he's so thin at the waist that like I I feel like even if he is a guy who's gonna roll to the rim, for example, first off the post up is just not there right now, right? Like I think for a big man, I think the minimum is if you're gonna play in the post, you better be able to post up Larry and score. He definitely is not a guy who can post up Kyle Ariad score. I'll just say that right now, okay? Um, Kyle's honestly might have twice the size of, of, of waist than, than Mobley. But um, I'm thinking about, like, even if you're going to play pick and roll with the guy, right? Usually, if you're going to play pick and roll, there's going to be a third defender that comes over and tags the roller or bumps the roller just to sort of impede his progress. And I think even that alone is going to be able to hurt Mobley. And and, and and on top of the fact that if you go with a against a team that switches a lot, like Boston, for example, they have multiple wings, I think a wing can also guard Mobley. So that concerns me in a way. I don't think he's one of these like generational centers who are like, you know, like, well, not even generational centers, but just one of these centers that can really, really thrive at the playoff level. Like obviously Jokic and Embiid were fantastic players. I don't think he's a Jokic or Embiid. Clearly he doesn't play in the post. And um, even as like a, you know, run, you know, sort of a, a rim running uh, uh, physical presence in the paint who obviously, you know, we've seen those guys thrive with Capella, we've seen, um, you know, under, under, you know, DeAndre Aiden as well. He's also just not at that size just yet. So maybe he does fill out. I think he will fill out, but I think there are some concerns everywhere. Now, of course he is more fleet footed than all of those guys. The thing is when you watch him play, he's like, like he's literally so light on his feet. It's actually nuts. Like it's, uh, it's like Pascal-esque in a way, except if Pascal was seven feet.
1: Yeah. I I think that's, a really important thing for the Raptors, especially when you look at the way they want to defend, if you're going to have a, a big like Mobley, the main question you probably ask is how well can he fit into our defensive schemes? How mobile can he be? How flexible can he be? And I think that's where his size is sort of an advantage, right? I mean, you, you probably want, don't want him out there on the court with Chris Boucher,
2: Oh, man. Um, They got to do the fusion dance like in Dragon Ball Z, man. It's actually just going to be a 14-foot player who's still 200 pounds.
1: (laughs) But, yeah, I think in terms of what his strengths would be on the Raptors, it would be that. It would be the defensive flexibility that he would offer, his -hmm. ability to stretch out to the perimeter and defend. And then, you know, you talk about him being a rim runner. That maybe fits into what the Raptors want right now you look at Pascal's scoring ability and his playmaking you look at OG and uh, looking to get more and more involved offensively you look at Fred Van Vliet uh, is not a shot that he's looking to turn down um <clears throat> and then obviously we got to see what happens with Gary Trent Jr mm-hmm. so so that role of a big who maybe thrives off the offensive class and just those uh rolls to the rim where he has an easy finish that might fit uh, perfectly into what the Raptors want to do. So I think that's something the Raptors got to evaluate as well. And then obviously the other part of it is, well, if you're not going to get the guy that you most want, do you trade up? Do you trade down? That type of thing.
2: Yeah. And I think trading up is possible in this draft because I think Cleveland and, um houston have given sort of given off signs that they might do it um that they're, they're kind of open mean, to it you know what Fertitta
1: i mean for is always down to pay less Th- that's
2: definitely true man he might just trade down just so you guys a little lo- a slightly lower uh, rookie um uh, contract slot he's probably he yeah. got the second pick he's like yo that, <laughs> that's eight million guaranteed right there <laughs> could have been uh could have been saving money from our restaurants um <laughs> yeah i mean i think trading down is also very possible in this draft because you have orlando sitting there with multiple lottery picks you have golden say with seven and 14 um and i think you know for a lot of these teams like trading up i think is something that a lot of these teams were banking on in terms of the sense of, i think orlando was anticipating winning a top four pick in this draft i think uh okc was anticipating and, and the okc thing has been brought up a few times um shout out kate um on, on twitter and also on the on the live calling show but Kate has been sort of pushing the shea Gilgis alexander bandwagon. And this is not out of nowhere. This is not just like a fan campaign. This is also just like specifically, like I think some reporters have lent credence to this and asked the question publicly, like, hey, is OKC going to, you know, uh, sign Shea to a max extension? Because, you know, they clearly have a very, very long-term outlook. They're probably looking at multiple things here. Uh, Maybe they look to trade Shea. Now, the thing is, I do think that if they are able to extend Shea, which I don't think is too big of, a, too big of an issue besides here's all this money, um, they could probably get more than just one lottery pick, even as good as number four, uh, just for Shea. But maybe you make that call to them and say, like, hey, if you are, if you really wanted to get into the lottery, which clearly you did because you rested your whole roster and played Pokushevsky the whole year, or not the whole year, the whole second half of the year, um maybe you would like the fourth pick and we could take Shea now I don't think that would be personally enough and to be honest I don't think Sam Presti is gonna repeat the the James Harden mistake because this would be similar but um what do you think of that idea as a Raptors perspective bundling the number four pick to get someone like Shea
1: yeah I think this is where moving up to four is so intriguing because it opens up every possibility for the Raptors like If you look at trade possibilities, if there is something with Shea, then maybe you know that's something that you can uh, look to do. Obviously, you're going to need more than the four uh, number four pick. Uh, Potentially a Bradley Beal. Lillard seems like you know it's kind of in wait and see mode. Mm -hmm. He doesn't seem all the way in like he has in years past. So, I think those three players will probably be at the top of my list in terms of addressing what the Raptors lack right now and Mm -hmm. uh, getting uh, that superstar player that you're hoping one of these uh, draft candidates might turn into. And specifically on OKC, I think this comes down to more what Shea would want because if he is looking at the 2018 draft and saying, hey man, here's DeAndre Ayton, in the conference finals. Here's Trey young in the conference finals. We've seen what Luca can do in the playoffs. Like I want that stage. Mm -hmm. And if you've got all these draft picks and you've got Poku and your window is maybe four or five years from now, I'm not willing to wait that long. Yeah. So I think that is what Shea has to evaluate and make it clear to the front office that, Hey, I'm trying to win now.
2: Yeah. I'm not signing that extension right now.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so I think that's where OKC and, and SGA might run into uh, a potential conflict.
2: Yeah. I think, look, the precedent for something like this would be, I think, similar to Chris Asperzingas. I'm not comparing the two players. I'm just saying when Chris Dabbs was with the Knicks, very, very promising player. I mean, honestly, pre ACLs, Chris Stabs was a pretty promising player. Um, but like he was in a situation where he didn't want to stay in New York. Right. And he didn't really want to, you know, sign that extension or whatever. And eventually he got his way and he got, he got moved. Um, now, of course, New York were able, was able to get some picks. Um, they were also able to get off of Tim Hardaway junior salary, which, you know, I mean, Tim Hardaway junior turned to be just fine. Um, pretty turned good. Out to be football. the best player in the trade. <laughs> that's, 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 tough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, turns out Chris was the one getting salary dumped, but um. <laughs> Yeah, like, it, you know, it is possible. It is possible. I think it would need a couple of steps. Uh, in the event that that were available, I, I think, yes, absolutely, you do that deal. I mean, I know that um, Shea has been out for half the year, um, and he was going to miss he's – skipping, he's skipping the uh, Olympic um, tournament this year and also the, the actual Olympics itself because of this injury. So, you know, I think it is serious. I think it's something that has afflicted him. But at the same time, like, his body of work as a player is just fantastic. Yep. um 82 games I played all 82 his first year 70 uh, 70 games out of possible 72 his second year um and then yeah 35 this season obviously he only played half the season but he's just i mean when you watch him play like he's just he's that good especially as a scorer too i think especially if you pair him with another point guard who can really set the floor you know obviously he had a lot of success with chris paul a lot of players have a lot of success with chris paul but um I mean, I just think Shea is just as a pure scorer is is so elite in that front. He's got the step back jumper. He gets to the rim at will. He he plays at his own pace. He has you know such a great touch in terms of with his angles. Makes a lot of difficult shots. Doesn't actually take that many difficult shots. Uh, Efficient from the three. Efficient from two. Like he had what fifty one percent from the field. Forty two percent from three this season. Gets to the free throw line as well. Can set up other guys as well. Not a bad defender. Like. Also, you know, listen, he's he's Canadian. Listen, finally <laughs> we are no longer just being like, yo, we need Samuel Dallenbear on the Raptors. Yo, for we, real. We, we we need um, you know, whoever else, like Corey Joseph on the yo, Raptors. Yo, we we, like, co- we we
1: converted Matt Bonner to Canadian <laughs> citizenship.
2: Remember? Yeah. Some people forget that like, he wasn't Canadian. I mean, he, he just seems so Canadian at first, anyway. But yeah, we—I mean, back then we were like
1: taking whoever we could get, right? Mm-hmm. And now, now it's really, really competitive. And yeah. I think the biggest point you made was Shay's efficiency, because to be on a bad team where teams can solely focus on you yeah. and you can still have that level of efficiency—that is huge. And you pointed out the three-point shooting. He shot 63% uh, at the rim. So I feel like the the one thing for me that he's surprised me a little bit with is w- the first year or so when I saw him, I thought he had a really slow release on the jumper.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: I questioned whether, you know, he could be that type of guy that could genuinely like elevate and create, like have his own, create his own shot consistently. Yeah. Because of the slow release. But he's developed that and he's worked on it. And now like he's a bonafide scorer in this league. Uh he's improved his playmaking. And you know, I think there's more potential to be had with his defense because of his uh size and like, but um yeah, I think I think
2: he'd be an incredible get for the Raptors. Listen, Bobby Masai make that call. You know, just just listen. Call Sam Presti. He's been known to maybe trade players on the, you know, cusp of maybe having to pay them a rookie scale extension. Just make the call. That's all. I'm just asking. Make the call. And and yeah, to your point with Shay, like, yeah, the shot is still, honestly, it still looks slow, but he gets it off whenever he wants. Yeah. And it's it's it just goes in. Like I don't know what else to say. He's got incredible touch. So. Um, speaking of Shea, though, um, his, his, uh, his cousin is going to be on the team Canada, Olymp- uh, roster. And so there's been, uh, training camp has already happened for team Canada, the men's team, um, as they head into the Olympic qualifying tournament, they are going. So this tournament itself is going to be mad short. It's going to it's, it's like, on- honestly, shorter than the summer league. Okay. <laughs> June 29th. So next Tuesday, they play Greece. Wednesday, they play China, um, uh, it's a damn shame what's going to happen to China on that day, but you know it's fine. Whatever, I can accept it. Uh, <laughs> they got one day off, okay, and then July second, they play the semifinal if they advance, and they play the final on June third or July third. So, the whole tournament is taking place in a span of five days. Um, now there are only six teams in the in their tournament, and uh, it's split into Group A, Group B. Uh, Group A has uh greece it has um china yeah china it has uruguay and then you know uh no it doesn't have uruguay it has Czech Ch- republic I, you know what t- t- the groups don't really matter that much this is this is a, <laughs> I, i've done a lot of research for some reason i haven't written out group a. um
1: no but you had it you had it it's just the three teams in the group in each group yeah. canada china and greece
2: right Um, That's right. I was literally forgetting Canada. Uh, And and yeah, they just need to basically beat, uh, they just need to win four games. It's it's, it's the long and short of this whole thing. Um, I think first off, one of the main decisions the team is currently looking at right now is who makes the roster. And they did have a number of players that they released on their initial 21-man list. That one had a ton of more NBA players. And then a lot of very prominent ones uh, when it came time to sort of revealing the updated list Was very different. Uh, You didn't have Ken Birch, who is on the eve of free agency. You didn't have Kelly Olenek, who's on the eve of free agency. You don't have uh, Dylan Brooks, which obviously that's a big, 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 big loss. He was arguably—I mean, he could have been the—he could have been Canada's best player in this tournament based on the way he was playing. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that would have been between him and Wiggins.
2: Yeah, right, and um, and there are some other names that you know were no longer. Involved, but for you, based on the number of guys available, and you can only take 12 for this tournament and to the Olympics. Who, what is your roster looking like? I haven't broken down guard, wing, and bigs, so let me know what your final 12 is for Team Canada this summer.
1: Yeah, so I think the one thing that kind of throws a spanner into the works is I don't know if you saw there was someone from North Pole Hoots, Hoops who tweeted out that Melvin Edgem did not travel. Okay. To Victoria. So he might not be obviously we don't have any details beyond that. So it's just this report that's kind of hanging in the air. I don't know if he's like gonna join the team later or whatever it might be. In a perfect world, Melvin Edgem is on the team because yeah. he means a lot to that team and he has uh that flexibility to defend multiple positions. So for now, I'm gonna leave him off based okay. on that report. Okay. Um looking at uh the bigs, then I would I would say you know, Dwight Powell has got to be there. Uh, yeah. I think Andrew Nicholson has played well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think you have to have that size if, just just to have it in case. And so I think Owen Klassen will make it. Um, and then that's tough. Yeah. If, 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 I I think I would squeeze in Anthony Bennett and sort of into that uh, Melvin edge of a spot where you can, play a couple different positions. He can offer you that spacing with the three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, he played uh, pretty well in that FIBA Americas. Yep. Uh, a couple games as well. So I would ride that. So I'd have sort of those. Uh, five, I guess, bigs. And then you've got, you know, the wings are pretty straightforward. You got Wiggins, Barrett and Dort. Yeah. Um, Cause Yeah. They pick themselves because of what's available. The guards—that's where uh, you know I, I'm, I'm pretty much you know only cutting one. So uh, I've got Corey Joseph, Nikhil Alexander Walker, uh, Michael Mulder, and Andrew Nembhard. Because I, I think with those latter two guys, outside of Corey, you need that sort of that genuine point guard vibe and someone who can really operate in the pick and roll well. And so I think uh, nurse sounds like he's intrigued by what Nemard has been doing in the pick and roll. And so I think he's going to make the cut.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, to that same point though, he's also been bringing up Trey bell Hines or, or Haynes, you know, his name is Haynes, but Nick keeps saying Hines. I, I, yeah, I I don't know if that's a pronunciation thing or something, but in any case, uh, yeah, that's a fair point with Trey bell. Like he he's brought him up a few times. unprompted. I agree with you. Like for me, the thing is I'm taking one less big and I'm taking one more guard and I think, you know, for international play, that's probably silly in the sense that, like, I think that a lot of these teams are bigger, right? You might run into Turkey, for example. They have a lot of depth in the front court. Uh, you you run into – even teams like Greece will be very, very physical in the middle. Um, you, you, if you go to the Olympics itself with this roster, you might – you know, you can run into, like, Serbia. You can run into um, – you know, Spain will be big, things like that. Obviously, Team USA is going to be... Well, Team USA, weirdly, is not that big, but still, obviously, you need protection against some of those guys. Australia is um, going to have Aaron Baines. Of course, and that's why you have Owen Klassen the Canadian Aaron Baines, <laughs> to, on your roster, buddy. So, uh, for me, yeah, I, I'm taking less bigs and I'm trying to take uh, a little bit more in Terms of guards, and I think honestly, like, there's a real case for all five guards to be taken. The thing is, like, when they went to China, like, uh, in the FIBA World Cup in 2019, like, they had a lot less options to pick from in terms of like established sort of talent, and so they really went guard heavy with that roster, which wasn't that much of a surprise to me because I'm like, Nick Nurse wants to play all these guards anyway, like, he wants to have two point guards on the floor at all times. I think Mulder is more of a situational shooter than a specific point guard, um, so I think he's. He's almost like a wing in a way, even though he's only 6'3". I think that he's mostly going to be in for shooting. Probably not going to play all that much um, unless the, the, the team just needs shooting that badly and they'll play Mulder. That's fine. But like Nemhard played decently well. And honestly, in that tournament, like they had Nemhard playing small forward at times because he is 6'6". I don't think that's his ideal position, yeah. but, you know, they, they do have those options. I agree with you on the wing. Absolutely. Edgem would have been in that group as well. Yeah. But uh, if he's not in, it, it would be a big blow to this team, especially because they they uh, you know, they uh, they had a great depth. If you just, you know, in a hypothetical, pure, you know, uh, ideal world, you would have incredible, yeah. incredible depth at guard, right? With Jamal, with Shea, just, I mean, just that alone. <laughs> that, that would honestly rival, like, some of Team USA's talent. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Um, and But even on the wing, it's still a little bit weaker because you had, um, you know, you had guys like O'Shea, Brissette he's not involved in this in this team right now uh you had um dylan brooks he's not on this team right now so like if you lose edge as well then you are you know it is a bit weak even though i do think wiggins barrett and Dort are just going to play like the majority of minutes if you have three wings that's not bad but it does cut your ability to sort of play smaller um especially because you don't have as much rim protection too so like i, I think for me like yeah. i will probably take four bigs as well I, I i agree with you i think you take bennett to sort of replace Edgem. But I, I like Trey Lyles in that group too. I like the shooting in the front court, Powell and Nicholson. To me, I just look. I, if nothing against Owen and Everybody who played in, in in 2019 in in that tournament deserves tons of credit. But like Owen Klasson, what I what I saw from him, I literally it was literally a preview to Aaron Bands. Like I, I, <laughs> it it was tough. Like so. No, I think that's
1: fair. I think that's fair. Uh, and yeah. I, I fully get where you're coming from with the guards, yeah. and as you pointed out, the only argument that would go against that is the fact that you have Wiggins, Barrett, and Dort who are going to occupy a bunch of the minutes at the two, three, four, mm-hmm. and who I mean,
2: Barrett like he might play some one too, right? Yeah, he he might play some one. I mean, he he will handle the ball, but um, yeah, he will be out there with, with guards. I, I I really am curious to see sort of like which guys could really sort of break out and have a big impact. Like I thought in the tournament last time, Kem Birch had a really nice run and he showed a lot of what he showed for the Raptors in the second half of the year. And I think that was a really great relationship yeah. that helped bring um, in part help bring Kem to the Raptors with that appeal and that, that ability to sort of play with Nick Nurse beforehand, have that familiarity. Is there a player in this roster that you're looking at right now that Um, sort of can have a similar sort of breakout. Obviously, there's a lot more NBA-level talent on this roster, but um, is there one guy that stands out to you, like an X-factor?
1: Yeah, you know, I think someone like Nikhil Alexander-Walker, you know, we've we've been uh, in the Zoom scrums, and he's talked about, even at his young age, just being a leader and recognizing that, you know, a lot of people aren't going to look to initiate the conversation. And so he's been making that effort, recognizing that everyone's thinking the same thing as him. And it seems like he's, he's been a leader in that regard. And then from a scoring standpoint, I think he's got great potential and we saw, you know, flashes of it during this past season. And Mm -hmm. so I think if you're looking at a guy who can just come in um, and get you some buckets and, you know, you, th- you think about all those stretches that the Raptors had where, you know, those five, six minutes where they couldn't put the ball in the bucket. Mm-hmm. Like Nikhil Alexander-Walker is exactly that type of guy who will come in and just sort of change the momentum of the game. And so yeah. he is someone that I would look at as an X-factor.
2: Yeah, I, that's exactly the guy I was thinking about, too. And I, I was looking at um his numbers um, in this past season. Uh, you know what the Pelicans like. It was a very weird year for them, I would say, overall wasn't in the spotlight necessarily but you know he got, he got he got his numbers up there He was averaging 11 and um he's definitely a guy who has that scoring ability i think in terms of like a, a guy who can you know create offense free consistently i think Corey obviously is going to be on the floor setting up the you know the, the play obviously you know that's that's Corey's job he knows what he he, he knows that um but you know for you know wiggins is going to do a lot of the scoring barrett's going to do a lot of the scoring those guys are primarily going to get to the rim Um, And their perimeter creation isn't as, um, well, I guess Wiggins doesn't really get to the rim all that much, but um, still those guys like primarily are going to try to score first at the rim if if possible. And I think with Nikhil is just that he has that ability to sort of, you know, play on the perimeter, pull up, take threes that way. and, And the length is really good too. So you can play him at two guard. I mean, to be honest, he's more of a natural two guard than he's a one. Although Nick has said that in training camp, they primarily had him playing one sort of get that, those reps in he's more of a combo guard still. But yeah, like I, I think that's where the bulk of the offense is gonna to have to come from. The front court itself is not really the kind of the front court that um that necessarily is going to be explosive in terms of scoring. I really do wish they brought like a Kyle Wilcher to this roster. I think he's really unique in terms of as a front court player being able to stretch the floor. I think that would really help guys like Wiggins and Barrett Dort as well trying to get to the rim. Um, but you know, this is still, even though this is not nearly as talented as maybe we would have expected for this roster. Um, I still think that this is one of the most talented rosters that team Canada has put together in quite some time. So looking Mm -hmm. forward to it in terms of the teams in the tournament itself. So based on the FIBA rankings right now, what we have is Greece is the highest ranked team at six in the world. Czech Republic is at 12. Turkey is at 15. Canada's at 21. China's at 29 and Uruguay is at 45. Um, yeah, so I, I think to me in, in their group, obviously, um, you know, Team Canada, they're going to play Greece first. That right away is going to be a very, very important game. Whoever wins that game is almost a, is I mean, almost it's a they're guaranteed to go through the next round at least, go to the semis. Because no offense, China, but you know, it's not happening. It, 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 although, it, to be honest, if Team Canada loses to China, I, I, I might be okay either way. But in any case, um, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, like. You know, that that first game against Greece is going to be so important. I was trying to look up Greece's recent performances to do some research into this. First off, very, very hard to find just basic box scores. I literally couldn't find a box score. I could only find final scores. So recently they played like a little bit of an invitation or a little bit of a warm-up. Didn't have some key players, but they lost to Bosnia. They, they barely beat Latvia. This is back in February for the Eurobasket qualifications for Eurobasket 2022 uh and then they recently lost to Serbia. Uh they narrowly beat Mexico and then they beat Puerto Rico. So, like, you know, w- kind of what you would expect from this Greek team. Um, they're they have some key absences. Uh Giannis is definitely not going to play. Thanassis is not gonna play. You need Thanassus uh in his in his tight jeans on the sidelines, just clapping for Giannis and, and the TNT camera has to pan him every single time, and Giannis does anything. Um but this is still a team that's going to be very, very tough, and they're coached by Rick Pitino, which is a little bit random. Uh, yeah, but yeah, well, I mean, do you? I mean, obviously, Greece is going to be the most toughest op- opponent here um, in, in in the group stages. But um, I mean, I think Canada should still be favored to beat Greece. You know, I'll do respect.
1: They should be able to on paper. I think the challenge for Canada is going to be when you look at. Teams like Greece and Turkey, mm-hmm. it's more the sort of institutional knowledge that you're going up against. Yeah. Right? Okay. And they know how to play the FIBA game. They know how to get really physical, get into you. Um, and they just know how it works. And they're going to rely on outside shots. They're, they're kind of one of those teams where if the three ball is falling, like mm-hmm. they can be really dangerous. You know, if, if it's not their night, then you should be in control. So, uh, you know, I think they're going to be sort of very professional in terms of running their offense, like pretty much every single play is going to have a play call from the coach and mm-hmm. they're going to look to execute at an extremely high level they're, you're not going to see much freelancing. Yep. Um, and so can you consistently meet that level of. You know, intensity and concentration, possession after possession. That's going to be the biggest test for Canada.
2: Yeah, for sure. And they're going to have a very physical backcourt too, I think. Um, you know, I think Rick Pitino, I, I, I listened to, uh, the only way I could find like even like final scores and stuff was to go on the FIBA website. They played the entire match. So I was like, okay, I'll watch like, I was like scoring through because, you know, sometimes the TV broadcast will like show you like top scores or whatever. Yeah, didn't, didn't even show that, but they did have a Rick Pitino interview at the very end uh all right and rick Bettino just went and raved about slukas that he loves yeah. this point guard slukas he says he's one of the greatest person like he's the greatest individual who's ever coached and listen rick Bettino's coached a long time he's coached a lot of places done a lot of things uh also rick Bettino has incredible energy like this guy sounds like a character straight out of uncut gems um, he didn't he didn't give us a Giannis is not walking through that door he did not give us the yes. It's not walking through that door. He didn't say Panassas. It's not walking through that door. Uh, but they do have one of the Tenakumo brothers. Um, they have Alex. Yep. yep. Yeah, Alex Wong. Yep. uh Anyway. <laughs> in the next oh, round. It, it, so in the uh, semifinals slash finals, I mean, most likely Turkey is going to win their group. So Canada is probably not going to run into them in the semi. They're probably running to Czech Republic. I think Czech Republic is okay. I mean, they have Sadaransky. Uh, I I've really struggle to find any info on Czech Republic, so you know I'm just gonna hope that they win that game. Um, you know, Nickner's probably probably you know boxing wanting Zanuranski or something. Um, then the final, I think that's where it gets really tough because Turkey is a very very good team. Some of the names on Turkey's roster are are you know I think they have. Comparable talent to what Canada has. Different talent, different types of players, but comparable talent in terms of Ilya Silva, right? The Jazz got knocked out. He's available. He's going to play. Furkan Korkmaz, the Sixers got knocked out. You were right, by the way. The Hawks really took on the Sixers. Sixers, a big fraud team, right? (laughs) Absolutely, you were right. I thought they were going to roll over the the Hawks. Um, That did not happen. But Korkmaz is available. Shane Larkin, noted uh, Turkish man, Shane Larkin is also on this team, (laughs) Uh, as we all know, the great MLB player, Barry Larkin, was Turkish. Uh, so therefore, he is on this team. Chetty Osman is, I think, on the roster as well. Then you have the draft prospect that people have been talking about might go top 10, um, Alpern Sigun. Or I feel like I'm screwing up his name. Uh, and then they have the seven-footer uh, who plays on the Heat, uh, Turks 7. Yeah, I- I'm sorry. The seven-footer
1: <laughs> who, like, literally you can just call him 7.
2: Yeah. He's literally, he's seven foot Turk. He's literally, it's really in the name. It's, it's really, really <laughs> nice. I hope he wears number seven as well. Um, but yeah, like Turkey I think has a really nice roster for the, for this group. They have obviously a starting five that could very well all be in the NBA. Like Shane Larkin has been in the NBA. He's a very, very good player overseas. Um, and they have sort of shooting and they have a, a team that can give you some real problems. Cause they also have some centers who can impact in the middle. So, that's who I'm looking at as sort of like the biggest uh, deterrent for Canada coming out of this group. But I think overall, like if you had to make a prediction, what what do you think is your expected result for Canada in this tournament? My expected result is to win the tournament and qualify. Okay. Uh,
1: I think, you know, everything that has gone on with this team the last few weeks in terms of announcing uh the names in terms of who's available now at the end of the day I do think the roster is good enough. And uh yeah, sure, there's no Jamal, there's no Shea, but you look at the talent that's available, as you mentioned, this is the most talented team that Canada has had mm-hmm. in a long time. And you look at the leadership of Corey Joseph, you look at the wings between Andrew Wiggins, RJ Barrett, and Lou Gens Yeah. I mean, that in itself is it should be serious trouble for any other team to contend with in mm-hmm. this tournament, at least. And so, yeah, my expectation is for is for them to win. Um, and Nick Nurse has the motto too, man, expect to win.
2: Absolutely. I'm sure they're seeing that in the Tampa Bay locker room every single day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I expect them to win the tournament as well. I think if there was one player, obviously outside of Shea and Jamal, and Jamal which like obviously those are the guys, If there's one player that you wish was on this roster that was healthy and available to play, but for some reason is not on the roster uh, for Canada, which player do you think it is? Because for me, honestly, I think probably Dylan Brooks is the right call here, but I honestly would – I would really, really have loved if Kelly Olnick was on this roster.
1: I'm right with you, man, because you think about the names that were initially reported – yeah. You were looking at the bigs and saying, whoa, this is stacked. Kelly Olenek, you got Tristan Thompson, Kim Birch, Dwight mm-hmm. Powell. And you compare that to what the situation is now, the bigs are where you're kind of hurting. yeah. And so, yeah, absolutely. You think ab- about what you said in terms of having someone at the five who can shoot, obviously Kelly Olynyk is way better than what Kyle Wilcher can offer. So that yeah. would have been a perfect fit uh, and – yeah, I think maybe in terms of that toughness and physicality, if there was any chance that Tristan Thompson was, was available, that would have been great. Right. But uh, I definitely think it, it's a big that you would want available. Mm-hmm. And Kelly, based on what's available on the roster, uh, would you would say is
2: probably the biggest need over a Ken Birch or a Tristan Thompson. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so listen, you can watch this tournament on the zone, um and uh you can also listen to the coverage i'm sure you'll be doing coverage for cbc i'll be doing coverage on this podcast post-game reactions, some takeaways some of that you know the usual vibe um i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna get to 10 things um <laughs> it would be less it would be less maybe a five but uh but yeah been, i'm looking forward to the tournament honestly because i think that this is obviously canada's greatest opportunity for the men's team at least to to, to uh, make the olympics the women's team obviously Fantastic! Has already made the Olympics. Uh, doesn't have yeah. to work on this kind of stuff. <laughs> but in any case, um, before we go Euro twenty twenty, we got to update. So we're in the round of uh, we're, we're in the knockout stages at this point. Um, great, great story. Obviously, I mean not great story, but tragic story with Denmark. Luckily, everything's okay with Christian Eriksen, but they have gone through. Um, we saw, uh, you know, a fantastic game yesterday where Italy. I would argue team of the tournament so far. Um, nil nil through 90 minutes, had to play extra time, scored two goals and two really good goals, I have to say. Um, in the first 15, the first half of extra time, but then second half extra time. Uh, one of the weirdest goals you've ever seen a header from maybe like two feet off the ground. (laughs) Like, and like, yeah, between three Italian defenders and um Donnarumma, who had made an incredible save shortly before that. Uh, And Italy hadn't conceded for like over a thousand minutes or something like that, which was just nuts to think about. And so there were some hairy moments for Italy as they try to close out Austria. Um, But overall, I mean, like, first off, like um, at this current moment, obviously not knowing who else goes through in in your team, uh, the Dutch are going to play later tonight. uh, But not knowing right now, who is your pick at the moment to win the tournament now that you've seen the group stages and a little bit of the knockout round?
1: I do think that Belgium has probably looked the best. Okay. They seem incredibly difficult to beat, and their players are in form. Like Kevin De Bruyne looking like the best midfielder in the world. Lukaku is looking like the best striker in the world. Oh, my God, he's
2: been incredible. Yeah,
1: yeah, that team, I think, is, you know, I think there's a bit of this generation has to come away with something. And they missed out at the World Cup, and I think they're sort of extra determined to make something happen here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I wouldn't just you know forget about France because of the group stage.
2: Oh, you cannot forget about France. They're, I think they're still probably the most... They're still the most talented team in the, in, in the group. It doesn't really matter how well everyone else has played.
1: Yeah, and then you look at the way things are shaping up for them. Like, you expect them to beat the Swiss, and then you expect them to beat whoever comes out as Spain-Croatia. So... I think their path to the semis is fairly comfortable. Okay. uh, Considering that the talent that they have, and then, you know, they're going to have to deal with one of Italy, Belgium, uh, Portugal in the, in those semis. Right. So basically, I mean, it might just come down to that semi, whoever wins that game, I think will go on to win the tournament because Mm. you look at the other side of the bracket. It's between the English, the Germans and the Dutch, I mean, I w- and obviously, don't want to write off Denmark. Uh They've yeah, been a course. great story, the, yeah, and they could definitely beat uh, one of the Dutch or the Czech Republic to get to the semis as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, they scored some fantastic goals. Uh, yeah, two days ago, if you haven't seen those already. Um, yeah. I, okay, here's the thing. I mean, I hear you with with Belgium, but like Italy is just playing like really really well right now they're in such a nice groove um i think the whole team as a the thing is like they're not as stacked in terms of like name uh name brand talent i guess because if you if you aren't really following the italian league that much you might not necessarily appreciate some of these guys you might not be like oh i recognize him i recognize him i recognize him obviously they got Verratti, they got Bonucci. like you know those guys are clearly uh guys who are i'm gonna just uh decline my phone Just see i'm a professional podcaster but uh i really forgot to turn my phone off this is unfortunate um hey, yeah man. like the, You're you know busy like, man. <laughs> uh, apparently there people are calling me to play soccer right now as i speak about it but um <laughs> yeah like um you know the talent team is not as no name brand recognizable as in previous years but at the same time like they just have they're playing in such a nice groove and such a nice flow that like um I really enjoy watching them. I mean, the depth that they can bring out, like the fact that they can bring out Chiesa in like, you know, in the 60th, 70th minute. And he's just like, you know, running like a chicken with his head cut off. And also just a really great goal the other day. Yeah. Uh, Almost had a second one too that he, he fully chipped the keeper and it was just great job by whoever was the defender to get back and clear it off the line. But like they are playing really well right now. They're playing. I mean, honestly, they're just like when you watch them play, the football is much more liquid. Um, I think their midfield is working really well. So I'm really impressed with Italy right now, man.
1: Yeah, I think it's fair to put them right alongside Belgium or maybe even ahead. The only doubt that was created for me mm-hmm. from this Austria match was coming into the tournament. Publicly, there weren't huge expectations on Italy. Yeah. Because of what happened at the World I mean, not making the World Cup. <laughs> That's uh, <right>. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then... You know, obviously, they've had a huge run coming into the tournament, but expectations wise, it's been France, it's been Belgium, it's been England, Portugal. Those are the teams that people have talked about. And then the way they cruise through those three games, everyone starts to talk about Italy. And Mm -hmm. so it's like now they got eyes on them. Now people are talking about them, and they weren't great uh, against Austria. I mean, out of the out of the four matches they played, that, that was probably their worst performance outside of the extra time. Right. The extra time, they definitely took it up a notch. I'll give you that. Uh, so that is sort of my question mark. But maybe, hey, maybe that's where now things play into their favor. Because, again, in the quarterfinals, they would go up against Belgium or Portugal, who would be the favorite. And so maybe that is the role that suits them.
2: Yeah. Which, by the way, Italy versus Portugal. Uh, like I live, uh, <laughs> I live right beside Corso Italia. For example, like there might be like, <laughs> like they might burn Earl's Court Park to the ground yeah. or something like that. Like it's oh it's, it's, it's at that level. Uh, yeah, as I was telling you before the podcast, like um, after uh, Group G wrapped up um, and, and Portugal advanced on a two-two draw with France off two penalties. Um, Although it wasn't like Francis scoring great goals either. Let's be real. They had a really soft penalty of their own. and then Benzema <laughs> had a really nice finish that I thought was offside. It wasn't offside. Um, yeah, like five hours after the fact, there were like cars in the streets, like, you know, circling each other, uh, honking horns. This is five hours after the fact, after a 2-2 draw. It's, it's The passion is unbelievable, obviously, especially with the Portuguese and the Italians. Um, yeah. And if, if the, I guess the last thing I would have to ask you is, uh, so far, who's looking like the player of the tournament? um because i think usually one guy distinguishes themselves i think you have some pretty good performances patrick schick you know uh set the standard with what he did to scotland uh, that was the goal
1: of the tournament for sure
2: that's yeah i was gonna say well um you know w- we might see some more dramatic ones i thought Chiesa's goal was really really nice but mm-hmm. definitely not as nice as come on man chipping the keeper from not even chipping the keeper that's the thing you're you pointing out it was like it was it had a lot of pace on the ball it wasn't just like you like you like, like you know punted into the air and it, you know, drops in in a parabolic fashion really softly. Like he, he fully kicked that ball with tons of pace and it just crawled in right under the bar. That's an incredible goal. All timer right there. But who's, who's, who's your pick to be player of the tournament?
1: You know, f- right now, I think I'm going to go with Romelo Lukaku. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think he's been incredible. I think the only one that I would say comes close and again, this is something that I question about Italy going forward is them leaving Locatelli out. And yeah. he was really good for them. Obviously, yes. I understand Verratti is Verratti. But yeah. uh, I think in a tournament format, I, am, I sort of lean towards riding the hot hand. Mm-hmm. And the way Locatelli has been playing, I, I think he should be in that starting lineup. And so he is someone that I would put close uh, if there's anyone else I maybe give a shout out to, I think Gosens has been really good
2: for Germany. Yeah, yep. uh, but yeah, that, that, that'll I mean, probably be my. I thought favorite. you were gonna say at least a, you gotta say Ronaldo. I mean, come on, man, he's got what five goals already. I mean, bro, if if it weren't for the penalties, yo, come on, man, <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna say? You gonna call him Pinaldo now? Like penalties are <laughs> penalties are part of the game. They're important. Yeah, you got three penalties. That's fine, but yeah, and no, a ta- no, and a, and a tap in. <laughs> These, these are the sexiest goals, I have to say, man. I've seen Ronaldo score some nice goals. Wow, damn. Even That's as a United, even as United fan, you're not coming in for Cristiano? Damn. Five Cristiano's, goals, though. Come on, man. You yeah, know he's a legend yeah, at the, these tournaments. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, he's the all-time leading scorer at the Euros. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, definitely shout out Cristiano. But in terms of evaluating sort of over the 90 minutes what different players have done. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you, like, Cristiano's probably done more than Gosin's. Um, but yeah, between Lukaku and Locatelli, like I'll probably pick those two in terms of their performances so far
2: ahead of Cristiano. Yeah. All right. So, um, Euros, man, I, I look, I'm still sticking with France, by the way, I still, I'm still going to ride with France. They're still my team. They're still going to win it all. Honestly, they still have the most talent period. I mean, they haven't played the sexiest football, but like, I think Benzema has shown a really nice ability to pair with, uh. With um, with Mbappe, I think Griezmann is sensational in these tournaments, and I just think that their overall defensive structure is really good. Even though I, there have been moments where they've been shaking this tournament for sure, but I do like the talent. I do rate the talent, so um, still picking, sticking with France. But um, yeah, I mean, look, listen. It, it, I should it,
1: shout out Pogba. He's been really good. Oh too. yeah,
2: Pogba's been fantastic. Which, by the way, as a United fan, I'm sure that has to sting you, man, because uh, he doesn't do any. He doesn't he does like eighty percent of this at best for you guys. So I'm going to push back a little bit because okay, it was
1: that, I mean, if, you, if you're talking about like the whole like four or five seasons that he's been at United since returning, then yeah, yeah I'm with you. Yeah. But if you look at this last season, okay, like he was incredible, especially after like that whole Mino Raiola fiasco right, of right. like, oh, they got to sell him in January, this and that. If you look at him after that, where he put out the Instagram post kind of shutting all that stuff down he was arguably United's best player, like better than Bruno. Wow. Okay. So so based on what he did in the second half of the season, this is, to me, the same dude. Uh,
2: what What would you say is like the key to unlocking this kind of performance from Pogba? Because I think that's always been a question that's like, how do you use Pogba? N'Golo Kante? <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> no, but that's the thing,
1: right? I think when you have yeah. someone like a Kante who takes away the pressure of the defensive responsibilities for Pogba, not saying that he doesn't have to defend at all, but the pressure isn't there and he can focus more on being that creative influence. Mm -hmm. I think that's how you get the best out of him. And so, you know, I think the fact that United have to play two CDMs in Fred and Scott to protect Maguire and Lindelof, like that says a lot in terms of where United are at defensively. So if they Mm -hmm. could get that CDM, that one CDM who can really control it. Um, Wait, and, Fred? Yeah, Fred isn't
2: that guy for you guys?
1: <laughs> Emmanuel, Matt Fred, is just... <laughs> Fred? Fred is somehow playing Copa America for Brazil. It's it's incredible. But yeah, I was gonna say uh,
2: it, it's been like all day football, like all literally all day football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: but I think that's the key for Pogba mm-hmm. when when you have the right defensive talent behind him,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where he can just go about being
2: himself. That's where you get the best out of him. But then, where do you play, Bruno? See, this is the this is the this is the issue you guys run into, man. It's a weird little puzzle that like, you got to play different formations now. You got to play like I don't know, man. Like a not even a diamond, I guess. Because I think it's more of
1: a, a Rashford question than a Bruno question, because Pogba likes playing on the left.
2: Okay.
1: Like when United go to that four, when they have that four two three one, he likes being on the left side of that three. Okay. Uh but that's where Rashford usually plays. So then what do you do with Rashford? I think that's, that's sort of uh, the elephant in the room
2: that no one wants to talk about because he's a uh, Manchester lad. Mm. Um, Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, like I, I saw someone bring this point up too. Like, uh, EPL is just like a, a little bit faster. I, I know a lot of teams park the bus, so like, especially the lower tier teams, but like the, the, the pace of the game is just a lot faster. It's a lot more based on physicality. Whereas I feel like in these tournament games, the game, the pace is a little bit slower. There's a little bit more time. Like when we're talking about football, like there's just like the, an extra second, an extra beat of, of time to play the ball is so, so important. And with a guy like Pogba, he's so creative and so distributive in terms of with the passing, with the ball. He's played a number of fantastic balls to France as well. Um, that does really allow him to highlight those things. And I mean, yo, if he has scored that, like you see that, uh, the shot he took from outside the box where he dropped the defender with like a sort of given, like, I don't even know what that was the, like. A hesitation, the save by
1: Rui Patricio was crazy. It was disgusting. The double save.
2: Yeah, exactly. A double save, but no, but just the first save alone was just yeah. was sensational. So yeah, I agree with you, man. Pogba has, is also in contention for sure. I think he's been France's, um, most creative player. Although I do think Griezmann has, it's done quite a bit um, two way as well as he always does. So, but I mean, listen, Euros is fantastic. It's living up to the promise. Um, it's making me want to play soccer. So I'm going to end this podcast right here. Big V Vivek, uh, what else, man? What, what what? Let the people know what you're doing, what, what you're saying, um, before we before we sign off.
1: So, in terms of the Olympic qualifying tournament, we have some exciting stuff uh, that we're doing with North Courts. We're going to do a live preview show Monday uh, at noon, so people can check that out. And awesome. then uh, on Tuesday before the game, around six, we, we will be doing a full out preview uh, of the game and the tournament in general as well. So one of the two you can check out. Uh, we'll have guests on. We'll be talking a whole bunch of basketball mm-hmm. and looking ahead to the tournament. Besides that, just the usual stuff, man. Um, you know, still writing the features for CBC Sports, Complex Canada, and you can follow me on Twitter at
2: Jacob. Yeah, there you go. Definitely check out uh, check out uh, North Courts, man. I, honestly, like, it's, you know, um, it's a really nice blend, too, of, like, you know, you're bringing a lot of, like, the sort of um, journalist, sort of analyst perspective, and then you got Javon, who's bringing in the player experience. Obviously, he's such a invaluable voice in all of these, especially because he's played for so long as well. And in these specific things, he can speak to directly yeah. what it's like to play I mean, basically, FIBA is a series of playing in Tuesday nights in Stoke. Like it's <laughs> <laughs> It really is. It really is, right? So you really need to know that experience. And then plus Megan McPhee is just fantastic overall, um, yeah. you know, bringing that experience and everything like that. So, yeah, definitely um, check out everything you're doing. And uh, listeners, uh, I will also be doing some uh, mostly reactions. So this is going to be the Canada basketball uh, preview. And then, yeah, just look out for reaction podcasts um, after the game. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, follow Vivek, uh, on Twitter at Vivek M Jacob. And, um, yeah, I'll probably call you again when the Euros are over. We'll, we'll have to reevaluate what's, uh, what, what happened in this tournament, but so far it's been fantastic, man.